Welcome to another episode of Listen Loudly. My name is Justin Thompson Rule, and on today's episode, I have my wonderful friend, Clara Ampho. She is a broadcaster extraordinaire in both TV and radio, and just fills our screens with so much joy and happiness. She is the epitome to me of somebody whose graft has really led her to this, I want to say, deep tapestry of a career. She is phenomenal to me in in so many respects. She's unmatched in what she does. So I cannot wait for you to listen to the episode. And that's it. Clara Ampho. Jocelyn Thompson Rule. How are you, my beautiful? <laughs> Good. All the better for seeing your gorgeous face. Feelings mutual, babe. The feeling is always mutual. You know this. <laughs> seeing that smile brightens up the day. So, listen, I am so, so happy, A, that you are, are doing this. I remember when I did the intro episode. And I said in that episode that I had written like a dream guest list. And even though we're friends, it felt like so much more just to ask you for your time to come on here. And so first of all, thank you for that. And second of all, you're just so inspirational in so many ways. And I know that the public know how wonderful you are, but I feel like I've been blessed to know truly how wonderful you are. So just thank you, first of all, for being here. (laughs) For real. Oh, mate, it's too too early for me to start crying. You're very kind. You are one of the most truly brilliant people I've ever met in my life. Well, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that Joss is incredible, but I too have had the privilege of getting to know you and you're, you're an outstanding human being. You're, you're just, you're great, mate. You're great. So when you asked, of course I said yes, of course. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much. So you are a broadcaster extraordinaire, both in TV and on radio. So if you haven't been blessed with the beauty that is Clara, you will have had her in your ears and that that voice so warming, so lovely. But I don't know, Clara, and it's okay. It's not going to ruin our friendship if you don't remember this. But I remember the first time I met you, which was at the finish line of a 10K race in Victoria Park and you were DJing and I was cheering people through the end of the race. And for, for many, many people, they ran that 10K, but many, many people also walked it. And I remember just in my mind going, every single person that passes that finish line is going to get as much energy from me as if they they won it. So there were people sort of at the end just being like, we've walked and we're here. And it was just like, you know what? You smashed it. And we kept on catching each other's eye with these people coming through and just being like, they're amazing. So that was my first memory of of meeting you. And it was like just this lovely connection of this beautiful moment of people coming through and achieving something that they didn't feel like they could have done before. So that was our first time meeting. But let's go to the very start for you. You started at, and little did we know that movement was going to be part of our relationship at a later date as well. So that's how we first met and so on. Anyways, so you started out at 
Kiss FM. Am I right? I did indeed. And also speaking about that race that you were talking about, I think I still got my commemorative tote bag from that. Because, you know, wow. you know, at 10K, they love to give out a tote bag as well as a medal. And I, st- <laughs> I still got the tote bag. So I'm always like, oh, yeah, that race. Yeah, I started out a kiss. Commercial radio is where I cut my teeth. Like I'd done a bit of local radio before, but that was more in a sort of work experience capacity and helping out sort of thing. But I was never like allowed on air. But yeah, Kiss FM was the first place where I got to have um, a proper radio show. But I was working in the office before I was given a show. I was basically everyone's assistant, whether it was like the marketing team, the music team, senior management, the sales team. I was just sort of like, Clara, can you do this? Yep, cool. Wicked. And yeah, I actually was only supposed to stay for three months and ended up staying there for five years because <laughs> they, I just got on with everyone and like, and I just, I sort of essentially created a, a, a job for myself because I was only supposed to be helping out with the marketing team on a short-term basis. And their main thing was sort of brand awareness, whether that was doing club night takeovers, like co-managing the street team, giving out merchandise at, at events and places that was me but then I just sort of fell in love with the place and the people then and stayed for ages and then and then by the time I'd left I I had a show. I love that so much because there's just something about having a history of starting from absolute scratch and I know that one of the things that we have always discussed in our conversations together is this this idea I suppose of depth of work or depth of experience. And and that is something that you and I both value very, very deeply in our own work. And I think in life in general, and I think that people probably see you now and they're like, oh, wow. Like Clara just does everything and she does it so well. And she just like, I, I could sit and watch you when you do Glastonbury. I'm just like, my girl probably hasn't slept for like three days. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And you're just... (laughs) (laughs) But you don't notice because you're just just having a good time. It's intense, but it's, yeah. I just think that lots of people don't realise the graft that you put in, in the beginning, that is now no surprise of where you are at right now. And I just feel like it's something that people don't know. So Clara is an absolute boss, just to say. Where are you now in work, in your career? You're everywhere in the most fabulous way. I, I never, and I think I said this to you, I was just like, I might have been talking about an Instagram post of yours or something. And I was just like, I can't get enough. Like, and then it, it just, it keeps coming and it's better. And it's never, it's never like, oh God, here we go. It's clar- It's just like, yes, <laughs> I love this. Oh, thank you so, so where, much. where are you at now? <laughs> You catch me at a very interesting time. So, um, you know, at the time of us recording this, I'm preparing to depart my daily radio show at Radio 1. So I've been at Radio 1, oh gosh, I think for eight, eight or nine years. And I've been doing Future Sounds, my current show, for coming up to three years. I took over from the incredible Annie McManus, colloquially known as Annie Mac. DJ and uh, author. And yeah, I'm, I'm entering a new chapter and I'm, I'm really excited. And like, it was made public, um, at the end of 2023 that I'm, I'm leaving this year. So I'll be, I'll be leaving Radio One in a couple of months. And it's, it's scary, but it's, it's so exciting. And I think 
the conversation we're having with a lot of people is that it's really a privilege to be able to walk away from somewhere when you essentially don't really have to. Because I think the big lesson I took away from last year is just because you can do something doesn't mean you always should. And I think I'm just always about just enjoying a moment whilst you're in it, but also think about, okay, what's, what's the next adventure? Like, what are we saying? What, what are we doing? And I think, and I think that's where I'm at at the moment. I'm just, I'm open and I'm curious and I'm, I'm ready to get my teeth sunk into new things. And I'm just, I'm just really excited about life, to be honest. That's just, it's how I'm feeling, man. That's amazing. That is so, so cool. And I love that you say curious because I think that curiosity is such, it's such a no pressure word. It's such a, oh, let me just see what happens here. Let me just see what happens next. And there's an openness to it. Not that you can't make mistakes. There's just something about it that I'm just like, yeah, just get curious. Just see what happens. Just see where you go. So I'm very excited for your your next chapter too. I think, well, not even I think, I know that whatever you bring, and this is another thing, and this is just going to basically be me fawning over Clara for the whole show, but it's just (laughs) whatever you do, you just do it so, so brilliantly. And whether that goes back to the years you're at, you're at KISS, assisting people and just just soaking up all of that knowledge and all of all of it together. I remember um, last year at Peloton, we had we were at a trainer convention, like a, a an instructor summit and Redman was there. He was talking about... As in the rapper, as in Wu-Tang's Redman. Me and Redman, Redman and me. Yeah. I love that. I would never associate <laughs> Redman with a fitness brand, but sure. Yeah. 100. Makes so he sense. came in, he did a <laughs> he did a talk for us and it was incredible because you know, he spoke of back in the day in the rap game, it was you grew in that industry and you had to earn your respect in the industry from other artists through collaborations, through working with them. But there was no there were no shortcuts like you earned your way and the respect for those who came before you and and so again that just reminds me of everything that you do now is just so so uniquely you and so brilliant and I think that it, it there's just so much to be said for for the experience that you've that you've brought with you and learned and your humility anyway we love Clara is what we're saying that you're so kind and lovely no oh. but for real honestly that I feel like there's so few people like that because you know for all of the wonderment that the internet has brought sometimes there are are shortcuts oh mate I know it <laughs> and you know honestly people often don't know the difference but I think in your own heart in your own work you know what you've built so so yeah, yeah. anyway I continue Thank to you, fawn friend. fawn fawn I'm only going to do it back to you let's talk about movement because also I've had the incredible privilege to train you as well I feel as when you're training people you get this sort of insight into them that is, you, you see people, I suppose, in their more vulnerable moments, you're seeing people regularly. So you get more insight into an individual. So again, privilege for me to be able to have done that with you for the time that we trained. But what was your relationship with movement growing up? And then we'll dip into, into what it is now. Growing up, I was always a pretty active kid. 
I come from a big family. I've got four brothers and, and one sister. I was mainly one of my brothers because my sister is my father's daughter from a previous relationship. So she grew up in Ghana for the most part with her mother and then came to live with us. But, you know, I grew up in a, in a very like boisterous house. So it was sort of like, you know, wrestling, whether it's for the remote control or each other or running around. And, you know, I, I, I spent my childhood in parks and I had a lot of energy, you know, like I loved sports day at school. It was truly one of my, one of my most favorite days. And like, you know, my brag to this, to this day is that when I was in high school, I won the hundred meters every year at sports day including our famous relay race, where I'll never forget, and God bless I mention her, I mention her fairly often. Shout out to Mary Dolan, this girl she used to go to high school with. We would do, she had really long legs and we were, we were both the final leg on our high school relay race and I caught up to her and, and I beat her and we, and we, and we, won, we won the relay race. I remember thinking like, yes. But I really enjoyed watching like athletics on TV as a kid. I loved dancing as a kid and also strictly purist and comfy because I, you know, yeah, I, I went to, I went to dance class for the weekend, but I wasn't, I wasn't one of those people that secretly did lessons for like two years before strictly. I like danced for like, I'd say a year or two when I was like maybe three stages, like 10 to 12. And I just, I loved movement. I dancing and sort of like running around, but just general games, whether it was like British Bulldog or like rounders or, or, or a netball. I loved netball. I loved netball in high school. I was a good, um, I think I played goal defence because I was always quite good at jumping. But yeah, I, I liked to move it, to move it as the, as the classic tune goes. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> so that was just a natural part of your childhood, which I absolutely love. And I remember now that you also talk about your family, there was something that I read. Again, it was it was probably just on a post of yours, but just how much your parents really instilled a self-confidence in you or a confidence in you when you were younger, which A, is so important in general. B, is so important for girls because we can submit to the the pressures that society puts on us. But w- will you talk to that just a little bit? Because I just I just think I have two boys who I'm obsessed with. <laughs> I will say Bjorn wants to marry Clara, just to say. <laughs> oh, I just I love him. I love them both. They're just great. They're great kids. They're just good vibes. They've got such great manners. They're just they're they're adorable. So yeah, I have the I have the two boys and I didn't know what I was going to have. I didn't find out before I, I had them. But I definitely thought that there would be an additional pressure if I was raising girls. What was it that you're, because you spoke of it before and now, and now I can't remember what you said, um, but, but you basically said that they just raised you to be really confident in who you were. And what was that like? Well, I'll tell you what's interesting is that my parents are, are Ghanaian and, and, you know, and in Ghana, I think gendered roles definitely like are a thing there is definitely a big element of sort of like traditionalism with how boys and girls are raised and there was a small element of that with how my parents raised us but I was never told oh you can't do that because you're a girl or or even if anything like that was suggested I'd be like well no and it was like oh okay (laughs) Because I've got a lot of friends of a similar background, like West African girls in particular, their mums and dads are always on them, like, when are you going to get married? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? And honestly, my mum and dad were never like that. Were never, ever, ever like that. Like, 
And, you know, obviously my mum's got quite the the persona that I let people see on social media occasionally. But I will say, I'll, I'll give it to her, because my mum's, she's very traditional woman, but she's never, I can honestly say she's never been on to me, but like, shouldn't you be trying to have a baby? Or, oh, I really thought you'd be married. But like, it's, 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 it's not that. And my dad's obsession was more sort of like academia, making sure that we weren't like waste children rather than, you can't do that because you're a girl. It was like, okay. You're serious about this media thing. You better make sure that you're the best. You better make sure that you do your very best. Like, don't be a half heart, like do it properly. And I'm really grateful and I'm really lucky that that was my experience growing up because I, I've got a lot of friends, old and new, and, and I just hear about it, like just culturally in the sort of like, especially like the sort of the West African diaspora, like especially with like us second gen kids who had a completely different girlhood and, and, and teenagehood and, and, you know, adulthood from, from our parents where I've got friends who like told their parents, oh yeah, I, I'm studying like physics or chemistry at uni. And like secretly they were doing like media degrees or like being artists secretly on the side. And, and I, and I never had to do that. And I'm, and I'm genuinely really grateful that, that I didn't have to sort of hide my aspirations. So basically there was no there was no separation between despite the familiarity of the gendered roles you weren't positioned in such a way that 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 you were held back in any way and that's that's incredible my my dad no. told me that no one would want to marry me if I couldn't cook <laughs> Oh no ridiculous man, No man want to marry you if you can't cook okay I definitely heard comments like that but it was it wasn't written necessarily contextualized around men but it was definitely sort of like you really should you know yeah be nice if you could maybe cook some meals or like traditional meals I'd be like yeah yeah and and, and don't get me wrong like I, I definitely had an interest but I was all sort of like but I'd rather be listening to radio or like watching something and just doing my thing I think we always know who we are from a very early age I, I really believe that and I think as a little girl I was just very aware that I was always going to do my own thing. Even at the same time, I myself subscribe to certain like gendered behaviours because it's what you do. Like, you know, as a little girl, I was all like, yeah, I'm playing with dolls, which I, which I enjoyed. And I thought, oh, yeah. Like, you know, when you're like 10 and you think when I'm like 21, because you think 21 is like so grown up, I'm going to live in a house with my husband and we're going to have two <laughs> children and a dog. And I was like, and I remember thinking like, yeah, but I also, yeah, but I'm also going to do this and this and this. And you mature and you're like, oh, okay. I have got friends who, who did do that, but I'm grateful to my parents for essentially just letting me get on with it. Even we did butt heads. I think they always had the good sense to be like, you know what, just, just let her do it. Well, they did an incredible, incredible job. Two things on that. The first one, your mum, Grace. So listen, if you don't follow Clara on on Instagram, first of all, do that. Second of all, apart from just seeing her greatness, you really just need to lean in to the text exchanges between Clara and her mum, Grace. When Clara might be wearing a dress that might be a little bit higher than Grace might like above the knee or a bit, a little bit, a little bit low on the cleavage, and just the exchanges are amazing. It's kind of like, well, I, you know, everything was nice, and I really like the colour. But next time, <laughs> please cover up a little bit more. <laughs> and then she sends her blessings. <laughs> she always sends a blessing, but I always say to her, it's like, listen, babe, like I inherited my my shape from you, and. 
I've seen pictures of her when she was a teenager and she was doing up short skirts and a decent... To be fair, I do I do wear higher heels than her because, you know, my mum's a very... She's very God-fearing and uh, a very socially sort of conservative woman in that sense. The thing is, Grace likes to turn out a look like... Anytime she's going, because she's, you know, she goes to church every Sunday and she and she likes to put on an outfit and she'll send us pictures. And sometimes, you know, like when she comes over, she's like, snap me, snap me. And like we, we did a shoot together for the Sunday Times style like last year, which was which was really sweet. Like, you know, she she was really gagged, like getting shot professionally. Like we've done Cosmopolitan together. We did a Mother's Day special and like and everyone on set like fell in love with her. Like she was, cause she got to choose my clothes for that shoot. It was a really, really lovely thing that uh, Cosmopolitan did for us actually. And like she, yeah, she was in their element. She's having a lovely time. Yeah. Amazing. So shout out, shout out to Grace. Um, and then the second piece of bit of you talking about childhood, talking about playing with dolls. There was one moment that we had together where and now even thinking about it now makes me emotional where you had your own Barbie doll. Shiro, was that the concept? I got the Barbie she I got the Barbie Shiro uh Shiro doll. Such a tongue to this Barbie Shiro doll, um which they which they give to 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 women who they feel have done great things. And it was such an honour because, you know, they've they've done dolls like Maya Angelou and like Nicola Adams, the Olympic boxer, like my and my incredible friend, I'm sure, you know, Adjua Boa, the modern activist, like she's yeah. got one. And they give them out to some really incredible women. And, and I and I was blessed enough to be given one. I call her Clavi. And she's oh. she sits in my office and she's she lives her best life. But yeah, they, they made her in my image, like everything down from like, well, when I, I grew my undercar out, but my undercar, the gold hoops, the trainers. Everything, like everything. They, just, they smashed it with the detail. Yeah, so good. And I remember it was emotional for me because growing up, there was Barbie and there was Cindy and they were both tall, white, white blonde women. with blue eyes. <laughs> there was never a doll that, looked like me and I just for whatever reason when you told me about it and was it if I saw the picture or whether you told me I think it was maybe when I saw the picture or whatever and I think I just burst into tears because I was just like wow that would have been so cool to have back in the day yeah I just remember that I remember that moment I did have little dolls that I did I did play with. I did have like little black and brown dolls like kind of little knitted ones and and, and cloth ones but the Barbies and the Cindy's were the women of the moment. Although there was Skipper, I do remember Cindy's mate. That's yeah. Oh, she or was that Barbie's mate. mate. One think, of the two. I think she might be one of Barb. Yes, one of the girlies' yeah. friends. But it's still so surreal. And you know, I, I cry too because it's because I knew that black dolls were available, but they were in America. So you know, like I think Americans got hip to having like black Barbies, like definitely before they kind of translated over here, and like. Yeah, growing up, all, all, most of my dolls were white. And so to have a doll and the reaction I had from like, you know, a lot of women who have like black children, it was, it was incredible. And, and, and like, shout out to Milk and Honeybees and, and, and Ebenetta who, who runs that initiative. And it's, a, it's an amazing collective that kind of teaches young black girls sort of like confidence in themselves and like sort of social skills. And it's just, 
a great safe haven. We made this film to celebrate getting the doll with these young black girls. And the whole phrase was like, you know, I can do anything. And they were sort of like dressed up as like scientists and teachers. And it was just like, I'll get teary like thinking about it, but it was just, and like, and Barbie were incredible and it like in supporting us. And the film was like directed by a black woman, shout out to Eloise King who directed it. And it was just, it was a really wholesome and just love, lovely day. And it was like the epitome of like your classic sort of like, you hear the phrase black girl magic, but it felt it. It was, it was, it was really special. And every time I look at that doll, if I ever have a moment when I'm sort of like doubting myself or not feeling good in myself, I'm like, I'm like, bitch, you got a doll. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. come on, see yourself. Come on. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't happen to everybody. And I, and I say that with, with all the humility in my heart, like it's a really humbling thing to have like I don't take it lightly so when the Barbie movie came out I was like oh my god wow and then I got to host the premiere which was which was really cool so it was a really it's a lovely full circle moment yeah and I remember the fits for that I'm obsessed with all of your fits at this stage but um that was that was particularly <laughs> particularly fabulous what's movement now for you what does it mean movement now for me is something that I feel I have to do slash want to do just to stay honestly to stay feeling in control and to stay feeling centered because the last kind of three or four years I've had my sort of love affairs with different types of movement and I've also been quite sedentary as well at the same time because I'll tell you what's really interesting when I did Strictly Come Dancing right and I hadn't been that active like at that level like that intensely for a while and really getting back into your body like via dance and you know I was dancing like minimum seven hours maximum like 11 hours like a day when we were training for that like it was intense and I was like wow the body is so capable of so many things but also your body is so fragile because baby when I tell you I was sore I was constantly in some sort of like ache doing that show and then, you know, I, I really hurt my finger really badly, like when we did our Charleston, because I remember I, I, when we did our Charleston, it got 40, I remember, can I say. I remember. <laughs> but I, I'd whacked my finger, I think, during the final performance and, I, and I'd like bruised a bone or whatever, and it was so sore. And I remember thinking like, wow, the human body is so capable and so strong, but it's also like so fragile. But But doing that show really gave me a different idea of how movement can make you feel in the best possible way. Because before that, I was running really intensely. Like, I think I've done, I think I've done maybe five or six half marathons. Like, I've done the Paris half marathon three times, the Hackney half twice. You know, I've done a bunch of 10Ks, like, here and there. And at that time, movement was a very social thing for me because I remember I joined, like, running groups because those of my friends were in them and I was feeling left out. I was like, oh, I want to come to the running club and, like, and then do the parties afterwards and, like, go to European seas and run around. I want to do that. That's a vibe. Exactly. It was, it was a vibe. It was a, it was a social thing. But then also there was, there was emotional ties to it because the Paris half marathon, the first time I was supposed to actually do it was the day that I found out my dad had passed away. And I was, I was in Paris for the weekend with my girls and then my sister called me. She was like, Oh yeah, dad's died. And my dad was in Ghana at the time and I couldn't finish the race. And so my friends were amazing and they, and they, and they ran it for me. But then I was determined. 
And I thought, okay, next year I'm going to run it and I'm going to run it in my dad's honour. So then movement took on a new meaning then because it was a sort of, yeah, there was almost like an emotional pressure slash duty I'd, I'd put on myself that was, you know, went hand in hand with, with my healing process, like dealing with my, with my father's death. And now at this point, I think it's something that I want to slash have to do because my lifestyle has changed. I've been doing a show that starts in the evenings now. And so I'm eating at different times and that's affecting my mood and how weight sits on me differently. And so I've had to really reconcile, okay, where can you get your exercise in that's going to not interrupt your day that's going to still allow you to do the things that you want to do, but then keep you energized to kind of work on into the evening. So it's, it's a mixture of like, I want to do it and I have to do it at this point. I suppose one of the things I try and do when I'm coaching is to get people reconnected with their bodies because often we can have like a bit of a disassociation between our between our bodies but I do feel that when the two connect like when the mind and the body connect that it's a really beautiful thing is there a a moment in movement that has been that way for you or do you still feel very much you're on a journey with it that is a great question I think it was when I was deeply in my running bag, which I'm slowly progressing to getting back into. But I'm also trying to give myself grace to understand that sometimes you're going to want to feel like being really into a certain exercise and sometimes you're not. So I think I'm trying to convert the same energy that I had from running to walking, actually. I have clocked that when I go for a really long walk, it makes me feel just instantly better. And, I, and I've got my steps in and there's been a point to it. It's like, well, look, I'm going to walk from home to central London. I've got an aim. I can zone out. I can really feel grounded in what I'm doing. And that makes me feel good. But when I was deep in my running bag, I felt really proud of myself because I think it made me realise I can get over barriers. Because going back to the start of our conversation, I was a sprinter in high school and I was always so fascinated by long distance runners because I was like, how on earth can you run for longer than a minute? and just not hate your life. I remember finding it so fascinating. And I remember the very first time I went to a running club, I was knackered because I approached it so wrong. I was like, okay, so we're just running at a really fast pace constantly. And I quickly learned that's not how you do it. And I remember like once I learned about like pacing and breathing and just taking your time and truly understanding that it literally is a marathon, not a sprint when you're doing any, any sort of like slower running. So whether it's like, whether you're doing like a 5k or a 10k or whatever you can manage to do, it really is about doing things at your own pace. Because I think I was used to that instant gratification of like running really fast, winning and being like, yeah, I did it. And it's like, you know what? I'm done. It's okay. Take your time. And when I completed actually my first Paris half and when I completed my first Hackney half, which I loved, I, do you know, my first Hackney half, I absolutely loved it because it's my neighborhood as well. And it's just such good vibes. And, and it goes back to how we first met, you know, when, when you're doing those local races and everyone's in such a good mood and like cheering each other on, like, it's just, it's, it's an elite feeling. And, and I'm the girl that couldn't think who, who thought I could never even run longer than five minutes. So when I was able to complete those races, which are, you know, essentially like 22K, 13-ish miles, it made me feel amazing. And it did change my relationship with movement because I thought, okay, 
It really is a mental thing over a physical thing. Obviously, you've got to take care of yourself physically, but you can do it. And and I think that's what keeps me going now, because even when there's times I'm like, oh, God, I really don't want to run today. Or, oh, can I face you doing an hour and a half walk? It's like, I can swear on this podcast, can't I? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I can, can't I? I can swear on this <laughs> yes. podcast. I'm like, bitch, bitch, you've ran for two and a half hours. Yeah. You can handle a 20 minute run or you can handle an hour walk. You know it's possible. Yeah, 100. And also, I love, love that you love walking because I think that it is one of the most underrated forms of exercise that there is. But if you if you think about what walking does outside of the movement itself, you're walking. So you have to be, there has to be a level of focus of, of where you're going. You're generally not going to be on your phone or looking at your phone and you've just slowed time down a little bit and how you feel, you, you use the word grounded. How many opportunities do we have nowadays to feel grounded and to feel grounded from movement? Because we can think, oh, well, I just need to go and, you know, take some anger out, go hard at the gym or whatever. When in actual fact, what we probably need is something a little bit calmer, but that isn't as sexy as going hard in the gym. But also your expanse of going from and enjoying sprinting, because and also it was done and dusted and it was great and you were fast and you loved it, to then transitioning into, well, I'm going to do these runs because all my mates are doing these runs and it's a vibe and I'm liking it and I want to do that, to then actually I'm walking because I need this. And so you've gone through this whole beautiful process of very different types of movement in the end, even if we just take it from a cardiovascular point of view of like the fast to then the, the middle longer to then completely slower. But they've all impacted you in different ways at different points in your life. And you can also come back to any of those should you want. But I suppose one of the really important things for me is that you're not now going, well, sprinting is the only thing that I do. So that's the only thing I'm going to do. You've learned that different things have impacted you at different points in your life. And also, you know, even to your point before of you need to work out in such a way that complements your job and your lifestyle now. It cannot take away from what you are doing. And at different points, you always have to just reassess that. Where am I at now? What am I doing? How is this going to impact me so that you can optimize? And I don't mean that in a life hacky, optimize your life way. I just mean to just optimize your your day to day and feel good about it. So it seems like you're you're there now, which is which is great. And it's and it's an ongoing process. It's never just it. Oh, no way. And, you know, I, I really got into boxing as well, because I think that's just a great stress release. And it just makes me feel, it just makes me feel like a bad girl, to be honest. I just, just enjoy boxing. So shout out to George Yokel. We love who are our good pal. And we do our boxing sessions together. And they're always, they're always really fun. It's a different kind of um, discipline. And I think I'm always going to find different ways to move. Like I'm really, I really, really want to um, start pole dancing as well, because I just, listen, I found myself on, on pole dancer TikTok. The level of fitness, the upper body strength, it's 
incredible to watch. And I love dance as well. And I just, I, I love the discipline that comes with it. So that's something I, I really want to try. What Pink does, the, the aerial, the circusy thing, you know, you know what I mean. Cirque du Soleil moment. I'm really intrigued by that sort of side of things. Like I just, because, you know, I gave yoga a go and I gave Pilates a go. They are such beautiful ways of movement, but they require a level of patience that I'm not sure I have, or, or I've got to be really in the mood to want to. I'll tell you what I love. I love reformer Pilates. Love, 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 love reformer Pilates. Cause I just, I love, I love the idea of sort of like being at one with the machine. I quite like that. It feels, you feel like almost like quite bionic when you, when you're on a reformer and like yoga, I think I'm still yet to find the yoga practice that, that suits me best. I don't think my yoga journey is over, but I'm, I'm ready to discover one that suits me best, I think. And there are so many different types, right? That I'm sure, I'm sure there is one somewhere that you will, that you will find. The title of this podcast, as you know, is Listen Loudly. Is there a moment in your life where you feel like you listened loudly to yourself in order to be heard by others that has kind of, that still continues to impact you today? I guess there's been a few times. I think one, one thing I've learned about myself is that I can't lie to myself for too long or deny myself my own truth because otherwise I start to go a little bit crazy. And it's especially my best mate said to me the other day, Chuck Clara, sometimes it's not every day keep it real. Sometimes just keep it cute. Because the thing is, if somebody asks me my honest opinion about something, I'm going to say it. I just, that's just who I am. And I think, I think there's been a few things. I think it's, I think, listen, being a, being a black woman in, in, in my industry, particularly being a dark skinned black woman in my, in, in my industry has definitely come with its challenges. And I've really had to advocate for myself um, to be in the position that I'm in. And what I mean by that is that, you know, there are certain advantages and privileges that I don't have. And so I've had to work around it. Like I'm the daughter of two immigrants. So I think, you know, I, th there's my parents didn't have like industry connections and I don't really do the sort of like tabloid sort of courting thing. I'm not really in that sort of like, Seen, even though I do high profile work, I, I I made a conscious decision like not to get involved in that side of things like too deep. So I mean, it's that classic thing. I think you hear it a lot of the time. You know, you got to work twice as hard to get half as much or or similar or whatever. And I think that's when I'm always listening loudly, like to myself. Where I just I've always enough. I've had to work smarter as well as harder to get what I want. I've always been very aware of that. So, I, so that goes back to that thing of like not lying to myself. I've never thought, oh, I'm going to be able to like skip into somewhere and be like, give me this because I'm good at what I do. Like it's never been that easy for me. It's always been that thing of like, do you know, it's been a thing of people either get it and it's like, okay, cool. But then somebody above them be like, oh, but are they sure? Because it's like, and I'm always like, just let me do the job and you'll see. And it's like, oh my God, Clara. And it's just like, I, I tried to tell you. But then also that's been one of my favourite things in my career where there's been, I think, lots of things people have assumed that I, I haven't maybe been able to do. Or they're like, oh, I had no idea you were into so-and-so. Or I didn't know you knew about this thing. Or like, oh my God, that. And I'm just like, well, 
Yeah, but because maybe because I, I appear in a package that you would not maybe associate with liking certain genres of music or certain films or certain aspects of popular culture or, or certain things around politics. I think people, look, we, we all judge people. Of course, it's the human condition. It's how we, it's how we keep ourselves safe from looking at something and, and making our assumptions about, is that something I can understand? Is that something that makes you feel safe? I will gravitate towards that. I will stay away from that. We all do it. But yeah, I think one of the, one of my greatest achievements is proving people wrong about, about a lot of things that I'm capable of. <laughs> mm, which is like a, a, secretly, it's just kind of like a teehee. <laughs> yeah, I, I say teehee quite a Told lot. Told you. Trust me. <laughs> you do. Yeah. I know you say teehee a lot. Trust <laughs> me. Always like, Your responses are invariably teehee. <laughs> yeah. But that that is great. And again, it goes back to that depth piece of, you know the scale of work that you've done, the volume of experience that you have. And I think there are, I think there are very few people who can then turn that to, to anything. And that is something that, that you do. And I love a term called quietly fucking shit up. And I think that that is, you just, you, you just come along, you do your thing. People are like jaw to the floor. And then you're like, <laughs> tee <"Tee-hee." laughs> So yeah, amazing, amazing. I love that. And I think that that confidence in yourself and that awareness specifically as a dark-skinned black woman to step into a space to understand there are going to be preconceived notions of who I am and what I can do or what the image is going to look outwardly to everybody else and to still do your thing is amazing. So you truly are leading the path for so many others. And I have to say at the same time, because of your depth of experience, I'm kind of like, she's kind of untouchable at the same time. So (laughs) I love that people can see this, but you just need to keep working hard because unmatched, unmatched. I think it's a beautiful thing to see. It is it is so, 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 so wonderful watching your career and your work to continue to evolve. Just just truly incredible and honestly such a joy to watch, as well as Grace's commentary on the forever <laughs> fabulous outfits because we oh, live for Grace. Yes. I'll be applying pressure to her. God bless. God bless. God bless. <laughs> But Clara, thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, for being a wonderful friend. And uh, yeah, I'm so, so glad you came on here. For you, my love, I will do absolutely anything. Thank you for being you. Again, anyone who's listening to this, of course you think Joss is great because you're into the podcast, but you really are one of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life. You're so determined and so disciplined and so joyous and so loving and so patient. And it's, it's, it's qualities that I, I, I need more of. <laughs> but that you're, look, you're the best. People love you for a reason. Do you know what oh, I mean? You are very kind. You are very kind. Well, my love, thank you so very much. I cannot wait to see what you bring to this year and I just continue to enjoy every last drop of it so lots of love my darling tee hee tee hee (laughs) 